Hello, I'm Sam Clements and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films of a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we're joined by Tess Morris, screenwriter of Man Up from 2015, starring Simon Pegg and Lake Bell, and a fellow podcast host. Hello, Tess. Hello, I thought you said an Othello podcast host. And, and uh, thinking, hosts the host podcast that... about the famous uh, <laughs> <laughs> podcast about Othello. It's just about Othello. Every every month I talk about Othello. Um, no, um, hello and welcome. I don't know why I'm saying welcome to you. I'm very glad to be here. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Tess, and for flying all the way over to London to be on the show. Really appreciate that. Uh, yes, I flew just for this from LA. We've uh, hosted some events together before which is very fun and way back then I didn't quite realize that I, maybe it was planting the seeds for this podcast because of course it was for Man Up which is 89 88, 88. Oh, oh. I think it's 88 minutes long maybe it's like 88 and some seconds it could be 89 I remember we were really excited to that it was under 90 minutes that was a real <laughs> thing for Ben Palmer the director that we got it under 90 I don't know his obsession, maybe. But I thought it, I think it says, maybe if it says 89 on the internet, then it's 89. But I, I, I don't say, trust the internet. Don't trust the internet. I mean, you're closer to the film. Yeah, I'm going to follow yeah. you. 88 so, yeah, minutes. So, if someone would <laughs> like to choose Man Up for this podcast, they can very easily. I didn't obviously choose my own movie, but um, I could have done. You, you actually could have done, and we wouldn't have judged you. Exactly. Well, I'm not a total narcissist, <laughs> but um, yeah, someone else can, though. But when that film came out, I loved it. I had a lot of fun watching this film. I saw it a couple of times in the cinema. One of them was with a live director's commentary director and writer's commentary that at Picture House Central yes. <laughs> in a double bill with <laughs> Silence of the Lambs which totally makes sense if you see the movie <laughs> I forgot I actually forgot that we we did it with Silence of the Lambs because all I remember is that I was talking over my own film to maybe 10 people who were but it was but they seemed to be into it it was really but fun looking when back now I thought gosh they sat there and listened to me talk over my own film a couple of people hadn't seen Man Up before as well which was quite fun <laughs> I know and I, and I talked over it I thought it was great I wish we'd recorded that I think it would have been a really good uh, <laughs> special part <laughs> <laughs> but yes with Science Lands, which I didn't talk over so when you were writing Man Up were you thinking about how long the finished film would be or is that really not something that you think about I actually no I actually I do think about it a lot I think about it a lot in romantic comedy terms because that's what I write mainly because I think that, I mean, I think about film length anyway. If I, any movie I go and see at the cinema, I check the running time because I have to mentally prepare myself because Mm. also nowadays it feels like every single movie is, you know, over two hours long and clearly doesn't need to be. And I also need to prepare myself sometimes, Mm. you know, because if I I remember going to see the latest Marvel one and I, I mean, I almost was like, I can't do this because it said this, what was it, three hours or something? I think it was like three hours and two minutes. Yeah, and then we, and I I had to mentally prepare myself. I also Mm. have to know when am I going to take my breaks, you know, because that's a long time to be sitting and my Mm -hmm. back's not great. So I have to do that. But when I'm writing them, in the first draft, I don't care. In the Mm -hmm. first draft, I just try and write the, you know, whatever the story is. But then when I'm starting to get into further drafts of things, I am conscious that I don't really want to deliver a first draft that is more than 100 and 
I need to be less than 110 pages, mm -hmm. which is still too long. I think the first draft of Man Up was 101 pages. So if you're thinking a page a minute, that's obviously over, but just over. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I do. I think I think particularly in romantic comedies, in genre movies in general, I think that to be able to make a genre movie in an hour and a half is a really good challenge. And you should be able to because mm. there's a, there is a formula involved in what you're going to see. After Man Up, what, what happened? You moved to LA? Um, yes, I moved to LA and I've been working on TV shows out there. I worked on a show called Casual, which is on, uh, I think it's on Amazon here. Mm -hmm. I'm writing a movie for Fox for Scott Frank. And I'm also doing a movie for, the, for Ben, who directed Man Up. After working on a movie, you went into Casual. Mm -hmm. Is that a different part of your brain to write, you know, short form stuff like that and part of a, a long series? Yes and no. I think that my brain works in half hour or hour and a half sections anyway. And really... I started in half hour. I started in sitcom. I mean, casual is much more comedy drama. Mm. Whatever the story is, you just have to find the best, most economical way to tell it when it's half an hour. Whereas obviously when you're writing longer stuff, you have more time. But my brain doesn't really, it's, I don't, it's not as much as a shift as I think. I mean, they always say film is a one night stand and television is a long term relationship. And I think that's a good way to look at it because you really are putting, you're investing a different emotion into things. But as a writer, I suppose I just sort of, I prefer writing film overall because I was going to say, because I prefer one night stand. <laughs> but what I mean is, is I like the closed device of it. It's why I like limited series as well. It's nice to have a definitive end. Are you at the point now where if you see like Man Up on TV, like does that, because I notice it comes on the schedules every Christmas year. I know it's a Christmas And that's really movie. exciting. I'm very excited. <laughs> and actually it was on in Easter. I think it's becoming kind of sort of like a weirdly, like a holiday movie in general. It was on BBC One at sort of 9.30, I think, which I thought, I was like, oh, this is good. Saturday night prime time. It is weird. What I really love, and Simon Pegg said this to me, when it when it came out, I think you know, it's so hard to get people to go and see things in the cinema. And I remember feeling like, oh, we did okay, but it wasn't, you know. And Simon said to me, this is a long game, mm. like particularly with this kind of movie. And you have to just let it unfold. And, and then we really benefited from Netflix and we found our home on those streaming things because that's where people want to watch romantic comedies, you know. I'd like to get it back on aeroplanes because I think it's a good plane movie. Such a good plane film. Yeah, I might start <laughs> a little campaign for that because I once accosted a woman who was watching it on my flight and oh, it's so embarrassing, but I, I went over because she was really enjoying it. And <laughs> at the end, I just thought, I... I so I went over and said, did you like that movie? She said, yes. I said, I wrote it. It's so embarrassing. It's such an embarrassing thing to admit. But I enjoyed watching her reactions yeah. to it. She was like laughing, then she was crying. And then I just, I know it's really embarrassing. I won't do it again. You said you're a, you're a big film fan and runtime comes into it when you're choosing a film at the cinema. When we asked you to choose a film for this podcast, what went through your mind? Did you have something right away or did you do some homework? Oh, no, I, ha I obviously went totally blank. <laughs> That's what happens to me when I'm asked something about a subject that I know and love. Um, I immediately think I know nothing. Well, my initial instinct was to go for something that isn't in my genre, you know, like a horror or, you know, a thriller. And then I thought, oh, what are my favourite sort of romantic comedies? And then I realised that my favourite trilogy of the before the before trilogy that the middle one is under 90 minutes before sunset and I know those films like very well so I thought well I'll pick the middle one because I think the first one's just over which the first mm. one is actually before sunrise is actually my favorite but I don't think you can really even think of them as individual films anymore I think they they entirely work as a as a 
Trumva, I was going to call it, a trilogy. trilogy. <laughs> it's a trilogy, Keth. That's what you call three films. So, so yes, I went for Before Sunset. Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi reprised their roles as Jesse and Celine, who nine years ago were two young students who met on a train and spent a night deep in conversation in Vienna. Now they're about to cross paths again in Paris, <laughs> where they will get a chance to catch up on all that has occurred in their lives since their first meeting. Jesse, now married with a young child, has become a successful novelist. He is on a whirlwind European tour when he stops off at a bookshop in Paris, and Celine, who now works for an environmental organisation, <laughs> not an important plot point, comes to the reading... In the 80 minutes before his plane leaves, for portrayed in the film in real time, the two stroll around the streets of Paris and discuss their views, experiences, hopes and dreams. I would like you to have read that in a... It could be like a thriller, (laughs) thriller term. By the way, environment, that is an important plot point, that she works for an environmental organisation, because the second one, this movie, is very much about choices and, and what you're doing in life and are you contributing, and he doesn't... He, Jesse uh, Ethan Hawke's character doesn't feel that he is at all so when she says what she's doing it's like oh and you're doing something not only are you hot French woman that I've had this fantasy about you're also doing good in the world <laughs> so it's actually ah, okay. more important than you think that is good that is a good point I quite like this part of the uh, the show where we see how films are being marketed do you remember how you felt when you first saw like synopses of your work Oh, I mean, I had to write a lot of them as well because I, they asked me to. The marketing at Studio Canal often said, you know, and and it's really difficult. It's a very, it's an, a real art form writing mm. a synopsis of a movie for sure. That was not that was not <laughs> a real art form. <laughs> I think that was like a. I felt like the Wikipedia article. Yes, no exactly. To That's fine. <laughs> Directed by Richard Linklater, as the uh, as the film. So the many, he's done so many movies. It's crazy. It, so many he, different types of movies. I think these are his best, personally. Hmm. It's one of those because it is this sort of accidental trilogy, as you mentioned before. There is there's these three. Films. Well, I didn't. Yeah, I was I was looking and I was realizing that why they probably why I love them so much and this is like a basic reason, is that the first one came out when I was 18, the second one came out when I was 27, and the third one came out when I was 36. And within, so within all of those mm. time zones of my life, I was, they very much were speaking to me. So in the first one, they're young and carefree and like, you know, have all their opinions on things and whatever. And then in the second one, they're a little jaded, mm. kind of sad and depressed, but also whatever. And then in the third one, they are having a terrible time <laughs> in life because they're in their mid thirties. But I remember thinking, that they were actually talking about I mean these films always get portrayed as being just like I've portrayed them as walking and talking and not really doing anything and they always say oh it's very thin on plot and and actually that does them a disservice Mm. anyway because they're actually telling a huge epic story about two people and they're disguising it in these conversations that they have as they walk through these various cities the first one's Vienna this one is Paris and the third one is in Greece Mm. and it's brilliant writing because you think you're just watching two people, but actually every conversation leads to something. It's moving the story on. Every scene is taking you into another emotional journey for both of the characters. So you can say they're just walkie-talkie movies, but they are a lot more than that. I felt really happy that there was a follow-up to their story and I felt that it really deserved it because I wanted to know... How often in romantic comedies, 
they're really movies about courtships, obviously, and you never get to see what actually happens. Two people get together at the end of them and then you say goodbye. So this was, I suddenly thought, isn't this great? We are now going to get to see what happened. And then the third one, they are actually together and have kids and things. So that's a wonderful device, I think, for me. I know Linklater's now doing a movie that he's going to film over 20 years or something. So I, I love that he's because like, he's so prolific, as you're saying, you know, yeah. he's he's sort of done a film a year uh, and then he does these these uh, things like Boyhood, yeah. where it's over 12 he's years. He's incredible. And I he mean, does this and then he's doing that new film, which is going to be epic. And I love how he's always playing with time. Yeah. And, and, and I think like, he's really interesting. I think he's like Soderbergh. I think that they are two directors who really have such a diverse skill in terms of the types of movies that they make. You know, they don't ever make the same movie twice I say confidently <laughs> <laughs> but I was up for experimenting and, yeah. and I think with this film like he's exploring this couple's relationship over a long period of time and actually letting the audience yes like have a breathe between movies it's totally. not like one a year and, and letting the actors grow up and mature yeah. and and they're all, all of their perspectives because they write uh, so Richard Linklater writes this but so does Ethan Hawke so does Judy Delphi they all feed into these scripts well it's interesting actually the first one they didn't get a credit on and I think um, Judy Delpy was a bit upset about that because I think he I think they felt they had contributed so much to it and she said in some interview that she got she was like I should have had a credit blah 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 but then she got one for the next two and I would argue I understand when you're it's you are in a hit movie that I'm sure they contributed absolutely tons to it and I don't mm. doubt that for a second but for a first movie the nub you know the organic process came from Linklater and the other writer but anyway, I was about I was about to fly to Vienna, you know, and uh, and I and we heard the news about her, and uh, of course I had to go to the funeral with my parents. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I know. But you weren't there anyway. Wait, why weren't you there? I would have been there if I could have. I made plans, and we. You better have a good reason. What? Oh no, no, you were there, weren't you? Oh no, oh, that's terrible. Oh no, I'm laughing, but I don't mean it. Uh, did you hate me? You must have no, hated I... me. Have you been hating me all this time? You have. No. Yes, no, you have. No. One of the best things about this movie and the other two is that they, and this is in relation to that, is that they are relying so much on chemistry. And that's what a romantic comedy is. And you are, of course, you need your leading lady and leading ladies or leading men or whoever you're casting to have be able to contribute and to have a chemistry and natural way with each other because we've all seen those rom-coms where there's absolutely no chemistry between the leads and then it dies on its ass whereas when two people I mean Simon and Lake and Manup were able to add stuff and have their banter and, and because they're brilliant writers themselves and improvisers and that's what Judy Delpy and Ethan Hawke bring to this I mean he when he looks at her it's like he's drunk on her you know and likewise, she is. There's an there's an attraction there that you you can't you can't make you can't write some of that stuff. <laughs> some of that you need from them. They played a. We've not seen each other in nine years, but we both really fancy each other really, really it is well. Absolutely <laughs> incredible, and it's it's amazing how quickly they go into it. You know, it's there's 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 no fat on this on this script you know it's lean 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 you are there from the get-go they are in that bookshop and then they are off already and that's what I really like about what it's saying about love actually because I do think and I am weirdly romantic like that because I'm also very cynical but I think that they get each other from the get-go and 
you can say all the cliches within this movie of that, of course, if you meet a French girl on a train and you're a handsome American man, that this is going to happen. But there is an innate attraction between them that they just don't have really much control over. And that first scene when they, they go and she takes into a cafe, they've walked for a bit. And that cafe scene is something like 11 minutes long. Wow. Like if you tried to, if I submitted a script that had, I mean, we had in Man Up the scene in the bar where she, it's, it's 10 minutes, but it was, put, and Ben had to think of ingenious ways to make my words actually speed up a little bit. But, you know, to sit with two people for 11 minutes who are basically talking about just their lives mm. is is amazing to me. And there's little moments that tell you so much. When she gets a cigarette out, he suddenly wants one because he's feeling naughty and he's back with her. And it's kind of, yeah, when when in you know when in Paris kind of thing. They also manage within their chemistry to create their own world that is you're just you're just along for the ride. And it's a very underrated skill to be able to to do that as actors and have a director that you trust that much that you're just walking around essentially. Feels like a roller coaster, even though it is, you know, two people talking. But once they start, once they get together oh. after that sort of five minutes or whatever of him yeah. in the bookshop, where he's clearly not enjoying it, right? Because he only enjoys life when she's around. Yeah, it, you, you take you on this roller coaster, and it's it's quite exciting, even well, though it's, it's people walking at a normal walking pace. Yes. because the dialogue is so good. Oh, the dialogue is incredible, and it's funny actually. When I watched, I rewatched the third one for this because I thought I need to have them all straight in my head, and I was just, it was so interesting because. Really, they're very, they manage to be very male and female movies. And, and it's the, the, the end of the third one, he essentially is, he's, he's a bit too perfect, actually, in the third one. And I think there's a sort of side to me that got a bit annoyed watching it because I'm now in my 40s and I felt a bit like, oh, so you're just saying, you're just, here's all the easy answers and she's the one that's had the baby and had to go and do all the things and you're just being romantic like Ethan Hawke still. Mm. But actually there was a lot of truth in it in terms of they're very consistent as characters, the way they talk to each other. They have these huge rows and then he says something or she says something and it's gone and I think that shows you again, here are two people that are meant to be together because if you can have that much of a row but then still soften with each other then that's also something you know not to be dismissed <laughs> mm, absolutely I, I i don't re-watch these films very often but when i do i love noticing new things about them because they are so perfectly shot and planned and like choreographing those walks through paris and, and even all the details going on in the locations when people come up to them and ask them questions like the servers and things and i i love when you start to get into the rhythm of the you know the long tracking shots walking down the streets like oh here we go. <laughs> it's so nice because you do, that's what I mean. I think that's the joy of having a rom-com trilogy because this must be the only one in history is that you you do settle in. You go, oh, here we are again. Here's these two people and they are, like you say, as soon as you start walking down the street with them, you are in. And I mean, I totally can understand people actually hating these movies in that respect because I think that, people could get annoyed about them just being you know too self-overindulgent sort of people you know talking about like a load of rubbish a lot of the time so I do understand it being but but I think if you surrender to it and you just go here are two very flawed individuals I'm just gonna see let them talk at me for this amount of time and like you say you're walking through these amazing you know European cities it's like a proper acting masterclass when because they mm. don't break from a lot of the long tracking shots and there's a lot oh of God, information I mean. that needs to to be able to, to do that <laughs> there's no breaks it's it's essentially a duologue is that i mean they are plays i mean mm. you could do these as plays and you would get away with it they never we that's my only 
thing. I I was like I would have just liked at one point for her to go. I'm just gonna go. Just gonna go for a wee. Do you know what I mean? Because that actually would have made me feel. Because they they meet up for a drink. To they have coffee, they they, have, they drink a yeah. lot. Yeah, I yeah. just think <laughs> it would have been a nice little moment to just have a little you know little pee <laughs> somewhere along the way. Oh God! Why don't we exchange phone numbers and stuff? Why didn't we do that? Because we were young and stupid. You think we still are? I guess when you're young, just believe there'll be many people with whom you connect with. Later in life, you realize it only happens a few times. Yeah, and you can screw it up. You know, misconnect. Do you think these films follow, because you know, they are romantic films, romantic comedies, do you think they follow a romantic, a classic structure? Especially watching them, I guess, in isolation, because they do make a perfect trilogy, but this one is a middle instalment. That's a really good question, actually, because weirdly, they're not funny in the way that we consider funny in a romantic comedy sense they are funny just in tone mm. and and in atmosphere because it's it's inherently funny what happens to them you know they met on this train and they have this crazy night together and then he writes a book mm-hmm. about her and she reads about it and then goes to see him at the bookstore nine years later i mean it's a funny story anyway um and so meta but somehow they get away with it and it's full of all the, the comedy comes from all the cliches because, mm. you know, she even calls him out on it. You know, I was this French girl. You had this amazing sort of one night with, etc. So weirdly, they're not, they're probably heavier on the, the rom than the com in terms of percentage wise. Mm. But I find them really funny because I find everything they're talking about ridiculous and interesting and relevant and irrelevant. And structurally, they really, they, yeah, I mean, they do their cute me up top. They get to it really fast, which is fine by me. And what they do, if we're going by my pal Billy Murnitz, rom-com beats, you're, they're much more emotionally driven than plot driven, I guess. Mm. And where they, the turns come within the conversations and because then they're together the whole time. So I think you have they had to probably work quite hard in a good way at making sure that the midpoint would be when they suddenly it will probably be in this one actually thinking about it is when he finally admits that he's married and things and I'm I'm trying to like figure out actually what it would be but they will be if I was to track it I would I would probably think that they would come particularly on the boat in fact the boat is probably the midpoint of this one they get on the boat and they have that conversation where he finally says to her oh god I just wish that I had I wish my life was different and I wish that I had when they realise they live in New York they both lived in New York at the same time and that he thought he saw her on the way to his wedding Mm. and she's like I I lived on that (laughs) block so a bit like when Harry met Sally when the the midpoint is is the orgasm scene they don't necessarily have to be these big plot driven things a lot of the time they're just little emotional beats that twist and turn the story and there's probably not as much of a a a lose in these ones in terms of like because obviously we they don't run to the airport and they don't, you know, which I think is great. But they definitely lose each other when she, I think in this one, particularly when she she keeps saying you're going to miss, she keeps she pushes him away. And then finally, in fact, the loser's in the taxi when he's driving her to her house and she suddenly has that massive meltdown and is crying because she's essentially saying, I am in love with, I'm, I, you know, yes, you are the love of my life. And I'm a, I'm a mess at this point and I don't know what I'm doing. And he, it's horrible because she's basically sort of saying, the same thing that he says to her on the boat, I wish that we had just been together. 
So in that moment, he knows that she has been vulnerable enough and then he then will not get on his plane in 15 minutes or mm-hmm. whatever it is, 20 minutes. It's like this verbal sparring, isn't it? You know, like, you know, we definitely cannot be together. Yes, yes we definitely ca- cannot be together. Yes. And then start to sort of peel it back like, I mean... We could, yeah, and no, and then and they they switch. They keep they switching. They switch. Well, this is the whole thing with both all of these movies is that they the switch is re- is constant throughout it in in and that's what makes these movies very real about human behaviour because going all in with someone is a big deal, and and they're even more relevant now, you know, in terms of like people's protective layers that we have now because of the modern world, and I think that there's so much to be said for that in terms of their vulnerabilities and that they don't want to, neither of them want to admit. And in this one, in the second one, what's so funny is they talk about sex so much for the first, and you can tell it's that game where it's actually that bit of the movie is is kind of like, for me, not the weakest in a bad way, but it's the it's it's so real because what they're trying to do is be sexy and say sexy things, but actually they're both really upset about their own lives and they're both really unhappy and what they're doing is that almost first date second date thing where you pretend you're really cool and they back and I'm going to talk about my life and I'm so happy and all of that and then as the layers evolve and unpeel you realize this actually really isn't about sex I mean it's not I mean it is but it also really isn't at all and I think that's really refreshing because it's two people just having verbal sparring rather than anything else also she pretends she that she forgot that she slept with him and he's mortified by that which is such a good scene and it's so good when it comes back later yeah, on and, like, and her course, reveal I, remember. <laughs> I mean i think we all because it's also these movies are very much about ego you know and that what i like is they're not just about male ego they're about female ego as well which i think doesn't get shown enough of you know that they're both struggling to come to terms with the fact that you know neither of them remembers certain things or held each other in such high regard or thinks about them when really we all know all they've done is think about that person for mm. the last nine years. And it works so well for the audience if you're aware of the series because we remember the first film so well. So we're there shouting at the screen like, you did have sex! <laughs> yes, exactly. But also there's, it's funny because they really do pose such a great central question, you know, the the what, because like, what if you do meet the love of your life on a train when you're, you know, in your early 20s and then you never see you know that it 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 asks people this big romantic question and it will divide audiences because there's often like you know like I thought at the end of the movie oh no that's what it is it's one night it's one perfect night that restores your faith in romance and human beings and that's actually when I first watched it was enough for me and then this one what the second movie does is go Actually, you know that question we posed? Now we're going to say, but what if you saw them again nine Mm. years later? And should you go back? And can you recreate something that was so perfect and so brilliant? And also the question of people's memories, how you remember things, how people romanticise things, which is, again, another important sort of part of the romantic comedy in general is people's attitudes to love. And it's also dealing with the consequences of a decision you make in your youth. Like, I l- really like that they say, we were so stupid. Why didn't we give each other our phone numbers? Yes, totally. Because, again, as the audience, if you really love their relationship in the first film, you're thinking, oh, no, don't, don't meet here in six months. C- get your phone numbers. I know. Well, that's <laughs> the your thing. You're addresses. shouting. But that, again, <laughs> what's so brilliant about that is it's still asking you the same question. It's still saying to you at the end. And I remember coming out of... Like I think when I saw this one, like having that debate of of very much like, no, they don't need to get each other's numbers. That's the whole point of the movie. And in this one, you can ask the same question again. You can say, 
But should you get on that plane? Because the thing is, he takes a lot of responsibility for his failing marriage, which is good because... And then in the third one, he his ex actually gets painted as a crazy ex, which I don't like as much because I just think they could have been a bit... It could There was space for that not to be this... You know, you didn't need to go there. But in the second one, at first you're like, oh, his marriage is not great. But then he starts to basically, you know, admit that it's because he doesn't feel like he did about her, really. And then even at that point, you're like, but is that enough to yeah. like leave your marriage and do whatever? Or are you just midlife crising it? You know, midlife crising it. But then you realise it's not that. Again, posing the other question, he just loves her and has loved her from the moment he saw her on, on the train. And even the third one continues to do that because essentially she's saying, I think I'm done. And then he's saying, I love you. And <laughs> the third one has that great thing where he says, and no one else is going to put up with your shit. <laughs> <laughs> True love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, she could say it back to him. So she doesn't choose to in that moment. But I think it's a really good, true thing to be said sometimes to people. I want to try something. Right. I want to see if you stay together or if you dissolve into molecules. How am I doing? Still here. <laughs> Good, I like being here. So they go through the whole of Paris, they get on a boat ride, they get in a taxi from the bookshop to the to her apartment, and everybody's going, you have to get to the airport, you have to get to the airport. And then we finally arrive at her apartment, which we don't really know if they're going to end up there. That's kind of a nice thing that, okay, they're, they're getting into that space. On the way into the apartment, we see one of the best cats in cinema. Oh, I'm so glad <laughs> that you brought this up. Uh, I, I mean, what a cameo. What a cameo. Now, let's talk about this cat scene in detail because mm -hmm. there's a few things to discuss about it. Now you see, now you've got me really interested. One thing I noted is that Jesse, Ethan Hawke, does not, doesn't give it a great welcome. And I was a bit, and I was like, Jesse, that is a real no-no because she says, oh, there's my cat, there's my cat. And he doesn't, he doesn't really pay any attention. And I thought, Jesse, she, you're getting on that plane. She's sending you on that plane mm. because you have not paid enough attention to her cat. Then she picks it up and the cat is clearly... Not happy at oh. all. And she's <laughs> gripping it really tightly over the shoulder. But then I feel like it, it feels a bit better. What's it called? I can't remember the name of the cat. But she lets it go and then it seems a bit happier by the end. And then he does stroke it. I think she should give it to him. He carries it up the stairs. Yes, she hands it <laughs> to him and then he carries it. But it's still, this is what he should do is go, oh my God, your cat is amazing. <laughs> Who is this person? And then he should scoop it up and then he should cradle it in his arms. And then when she's singing in the song at the end, he should be stroking the cat. <laughs> that is the only, that's my major note for his character, that he uh, does not appreciate her cat enough. For a certain portion of the audience who are cat lovers, as we get into the sort of the, the end game of this movie, when seeing a cat, you know, it's sort of an extra um, burst of adrenaline. Like, yes, yes, there's a cat, there's a cat. <laughs> well, the thing is, I, me and my friend, I have a friend called Jill and she has an extensive database where she notes every cat. I'm sure there's one on the internet as well. But she, like, we like to note whenever there's a cat in a movie that we're seeing. And it really does lift you. I mean, if you're a cat person and you see a cat in a movie, it's a very simple shot of adrenaline that all filmmakers should, they should use it as a device more often if they want to get our attention. Because it's like, oh, oh, there's a cat, cat cameo coming up. 
I think it's a, it's a big thing. And, and actually, the cat in this film is very well cast. He's called Che. He's called Che. And Just he remembered. makes a joke about it. Yes. He's like, Che. Che, exactly. <laughs> but what he should do is go, oh, Che, what a good name. Oh, Che, Che. That's what he should do. And it is a really lovely big cat. Listeners, if you haven't seen the film yet, we have just spoiled it for you, but Google the cat. Google the cat's cat. so cute. Google the cat. We'll post a picture of the cat with this podcast. Please. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and then we get into that all-important scene in the apartment where, you know, anything could happen and, and, and truths are revealed. What do you think of the ending in this film? What do you think of that final scene in the apartment? Well, what I really like about this scene is that, like, well, the ending of this, well, what I, what I like about them all, actually, just to give a more, like, overview, is that in the first one, they kiss in a way that is, like, incredible in the first one. You are... It's you can feel it when they kiss. You you are waiting for it, and then in, actually in this one, they don't kiss at all, and it's all sexual tension. It's all, mm. and I'm really glad for that because I don't want them to get back into her apartment and then to get it on. That would not be right. Part of the point of this second one is that it's all about the tension within that, and also not just about sex. Like I'm saying, it's much more about this is the person that I connect with and have chemistry with. And it's a weird thing because it's kind of embarrassing. You ask, you know, he puts on that, you know, Nina Simone and then she does that impression of Nina Simone and it's kind of like, oh, what's happening? But that's sort of part of the movie to me because you don't feel that comfortable, but they don't feel that comfortable because they don't really know what they're doing. And he's suddenly now in her apartment after nine years and he's supposed to be leaving and they've had all these conversations about stuff. So, you know, what do you do? You do an impression of Nina Simone. (laughs) Make some French tea, herbal tea. And I think, you know, as soon as he sits down on that sofa, you, you think he's not getting up off that sofa. He's not going anywhere. But the fact that you never actually hear that decision and he just says, you know, she says, baby, you're going to miss that plane. And then I think she says a couple more things, but it's nothing, whatever. And he he says, I know, doesn't he? He says, I know. But you don't, they don't kiss. They don't seal the deal. They just, you know, you just kind of fade out of, of that. And I think that, I think it's a great ending. And again, I'm then thinking, oh, there's going to be a third one. (laughs) Or maybe not. Maybe Mm. it's just two. But to have that luxury of have two characters that you can then, you know, they could make a fourth one very easily. And I wish they would. Because we have that scene. She plays him the song about him. So cheesy. So embarrassing. (laughs) So embarrassing. That's the whole thing is that, like, actually, it's all the cliches you think. It's a French woman, beautiful French woman sitting there singing, you know, her song about him. But actually, it comes full circle. He wrote a book about her. He's, and and it's, it's a really nice ending because it starts with him writing a book about her and yeah. it ends with her revealing that she's also written a song, song about, about him. Yeah. So and it's and it's it is fantasy land in some ways, but it also isn't because of how much they have talked about and shared and understand of each other, you know. And also, it's not like they're saying in that moment, oh, I'm going to leave my wife for you and I'm going to move to Paris. And it's not like she's saying I'm going to leave my boyfriend. They're basically just saying we are now acknowledging that something is going to happen, but we don't know what. And that, for me, again, is the best thing about these movies. So there we have it, before Sunset is in the festival. Now, this festival, very strict rules, has to be under 90 minutes. Do you think this film works in isolation, if you haven't seen before and after? Yes, actually, because I think they give you enough information up top to know what you're dealing with and they they backtrack you know they give you plot from the first one but I think overall you'd be missing out if you didn't watch the other two but I think if I turned this movie on and I'd never didn't know anything about it 
I, it would stand up on its own and I'd understand what it was about. And that's the most important thing. And then I'd Google it and go, oh, hang on a minute. What's before sunrise? What's before <laughs> midnight? <laughs> it wasn't just them talking. What's going on? There's a movie where they actually are doing the things they talked about. So, yeah, I think it would definitely hold up. So at this festival, we are going to show this film to an audience. We have an endless budget. We are able to fly you over from LA to do this podcast, and we will be able to show the film wherever you would like. What is the optimum screening environment for Ooh, this Sure, movie? I really thought you were being serious then, and I was getting really excited. And we will fund your next movie. Uh, we'll call I was like, oh, they're going to fly me back to Crete and do a Q&A. Great. Um, okay, optimum. Okay, let's think. Let's go for... Well, can, we, can you come to LA? We can move the festival. Great. Producer Louise is nodding. Okay, yeah, great. No, it's official. Well, then we're going to go to the Vista Cinema in Los Feliz, which is really near where I live. And it's where you might know it from True Romance, where they, the cinema they meet in, in True Romance. It is my favourite cinema in the world. And it's it's a very old Art Deco. Not old, I mean old for LA standards. Art Deco. So you go in, there's Tutankhamun statues that kind of overlook you. And it's just beautiful inside. And we would watch it there. And then afterwards, we go round the corner to the Good Luck Bar, which is very before sunsetty and that kind of, you know, lots of hip young couples hanging out, having conversations. And um, we would get drunk and then we'd walk around LA because you can walk in LA. It's a myth that you can't. <laughs> I'll do it all in one yeah, single but take. But the Vista Cinema, you have to get everyone there. Okay, that's cool. We'll fly cinema. the audience over. Right, perfect. Uh, it's going to be one hell of an experience. And if you could invite one special guest, who would that be? I would invite Julie Delpy because I really would like her to just go off on one <laughs> about how she didn't get a writing credit for the first one. <laughs> and I would like to, because I feel like she is of, of, she's so herself in these movies. Have you seen her other movies like Two Days in Paris and Two yes, Days in New yeah, York? Yeah. They're so good, those films. I really, really enjoy them. And they're so similar to this. I think she's a very underrated romantic comedy lead, a writer, director, writer, all director, of the things. Singer, yeah, 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 actor, exactly. exactly. I mean, she is quite incredible. So I would have her along for sure. Would you bring a bit of Paris to LA? Yes. I mean, that's very easy to do. I would get lots of little Eiffel Towers that you'd have on your seat. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd serve Chocolat Show in everybody's, you know, that's hot chocolate in case anyone doesn't know what that is in French. And I would make everyone wear berets <laughs> and stripy t-shirts. Yes. And Julie I, would love that. <laughs> Julie would love that. I think she'd be very, she says very subtle test. Homecoming for Yes, her. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Croissants. Actually, there is a French uh, restaurant right around the corner from the Vista called Figaro that we could all go to afterwards. It sounds like a lovely communal, like community screening, get to know your neighbours, exactly, have a chat, exactly. like Jesse and Celine. Exactly. Incredible. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> On quite <do> you... <laughs> <laughs> Trevian, do you think this film could be or should be longer than 90 minutes? No. No, no, no. I don't think any film should be longer than 90 <laughs> minutes, apart from Magnolia. That's it. Mic drop moment. <laughs> that should be the tagline for this podcast. <laughs> well, fantastic. Thank you so Thank much, Thank you. <laughs> Before Sunset is now in the festival. Really excited to screen it. If listeners would like to find out more about what you're up to and listen to your podcast, oh, yes. where so, should they go? Well, my podcast is called You Had Us At Hello, and it's, I, it's very sporadic. In fact, we haven't done one this year, but you can listen to, I think there's eight online at the moment. And it's me and my good friend, Billy Murnett, who wrote a book called Writing the Romantic Comedy. It's very niche. It's very much only about romantic comedies. 
so they can find me there and then they can stalk me on social media which I'm sometimes on and, and sometimes have big long hiatuses from so there we have it Before Sunset is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest thank you for listening and please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts leave us a review uh, as an independent podcast it really helps we are also available on Spotify all good podcatchers and 90minfilmfest.com that's 90minfilmfest.com you can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest the show is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Luke Smith, and our music is by Martin Ostwick. Our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye.